Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. We're really glad that you guys are here uh, to worship with us uh, this morning. And we are wrapping up this week and next week a series called Stories uh, to Live By. And over the last uh, few weeks, we've had uh, different people from the church share uh, some of these stories that Jesus himself taught to his followers called disciples and those that were listening. And these stories are called parables. And what Jesus did a lot was he told these stories to make a point, but he did it in a way that caused people to think. And he wanted to do it in a way so it just didn't go in one ear and out the other. He, he really wanted to engage with the people that listened to him. And what you find today is, as you follow Christ, he, he wants to engage with us in the same way. He wants to uh, teach us. He wants to lead us. And so in this series, we've been looking at these stories and not just historical accounts of what happened as we read from Jesus, but specifically, what do those stories uh, mean for us today? And that's what you find when you engage in the scriptures, our, our real duty as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, is to dig into the scriptures and ask yourself, what does this mean for me here and now, right now in the present? And so we've had uh, different people share. And this morning, you're going to hear from uh, John Rickert, but in a moment, um, I'm going to introduce him, but I also want to let you know that next week, Jeep Underwood is going to be wrapping up uh, this series. And so we're, uh, my family are going on vacation uh, this week, and we're going to be gone, so I'm not going to get to introduce Jeep, so I'm introducing him a week ahead of time, okay? He's not even here to be introduced. He's wrapping up his vacation as well. Uh, but Jeep is going to be wrapping up this series, and I know you guys will uh, look forward to hearing from him uh, next week. And on the 22nd, I'll be back speaking, and that will really be like my last Sunday speaking at Church in the Valley. And so I've prepared a two-hour sermon. I'm going to make it count, okay? Just kidding. I haven't prepared it yet, so we'll see. Uh, but I'm going to be sharing um, on the, the 22nd. And on the 29th, like Ben mentioned, I'd, I'd love for all of you guys to come back. And uh, it will be our last Sunday. And so we'd love to, to see you, uh, hug you guys, and, and love on you before uh, we leave to go uh, plant the church. So I invite you back for that on the 29th. Um, but today, uh, John Rickert is going to be uh, speaking again on the stories to live by. And I've known John for, for many years. John is an architect. He works in downtown Los Angeles, a longtime member of Church in the Valley. Uh, John is a faithful man. He's the type of man that when you ask him to do something, he's going to do it. And he's going to do it not just with the minimum, but he's going to use his gifting, his wiring to do it the best possible way that he can. Uh, he, is, he is a rock, somebody that I, I've been able to really count on in the trenches of ministry. And so I want to invite John up. Why don't you guys welcome him up this morning? Good morning, everyone. Well, hopefully after that introduction, I do okay today. Um, I hope that you all had a great 4th of July. I know for myself, um, on Thursday when I went back to work, it felt like Monday. So although I was really tired by the time Tuesday came around, i.e. Friday, I had a really short week, so that was great. Um, so I hope you had a great 4th of July. As Alex said, we're looking at some different parables that Jesus told. Today we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you've looked at your message outline or even at your program, uh, you can see that what we're looking at specifically is the idea of neighboring and what we can learn about how to be a good neighbor and how to do that well. In our culture, we have a lot of different ideas about neighboring, what it is, you know, some good ideas, some bad ideas. We actually have a picture here of some, you know, classic cultural iconic neighbors, um, you know, maybe that's you. Um, 
And so there are just so many different ways that we can think of what a neighbor is. But what Jesus actually had to say was a little bit different than kind of the ideas of Ned Flanders up here. Um, So we're going to look at that today. So let's go ahead and start by jumping in and looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. You can find it in Luke 10, 25 through 37. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Well, in this parable, um, Jesus answered not only the lawyer's question about who my neighbor is, who it is that we're supposed to treat as neighbors, but he actually answered that by describing the way that we should act as a good neighbor. Um, And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at both of those ideas. Um, How is it that we should act as neighbors? And then who is it that we should act this way towards? And to give you know the punchline away, basically what we're going to find out is as we examine these verses, a good neighbor sees and acts with the heart of Jesus towards those around them. A good neighbor sees and acts with the heart of Jesus towards those around him. And there's really two important aspects here. First, it's how we see others. And then secondly, it's how we act towards them. So how is it, looking at this parable, that a good neighbor should see others? Well, first of all, I want us to imagine this scene to really kind of dig into it a little bit. If you look up on the screen here, we actually have a picture. This is a picture of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But you can imagine, you know, it's kind of a hot, dusty day, maybe a little bit of a breeze coming through. There's a man traveling down the road. He rounds a bend, and suddenly this group of armed men jump him and attack him. They take off his clothes because you don't want to get blood on the clothes you're about to steal. Knock him down. They beat him, kick him. You know, potentially even knock him out. They say that the the parable tells us that he was half dead. So he's obviously not in a good position. Then they take him to his stuff and just leave him lying there in the road, dying. Well, a little while later, a traveler comes coming down that road. And, you know, he rounds that bend. And what does he see? He sees someone laying there on the ground. Maybe he slows down a little bit trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And then what does he do? He actually moves to the other side of the road and passes him by, leaving him there. You know, maybe after a little while, it just gets quiet again. The wind is blowing. You know, not a very nice sight. And then a little while later, another traveler comes, and we see the exact same thing take place. Now, we really don't know for sure 
what it is that the priest and the Levite was thinking, were thinking, you know, we don't know why they chose to do what they did, but we can probably hazard a few guesses, um, things taken out of my own life, just knowing people, you know, first of all, perhaps they were both really, really busy. And, you know, as they're traveling along on their donkey, on their way back to Jericho, they were just thinking about that list of to do's that they needed to do, you know, man, I, I got, I got this huge deadline at work tomorrow. You know, there's so much that needs to get done. And, oh, I told my wife I would fix the back door by tomorrow. And she's been asking me to do that for weeks, man. Oh, and little Timmy, his place tonight. I have to go to that. I just don't have time, man. So much going on. And then they see this man lying in the road. You know, it could have been that what they saw was just an inconvenience. You know, this isn't a good time. I, I have too much going on. I, I don't have the time to help this guy. Maybe they saw a distraction. You know, I, you know, I, I can't take care of this because it's going to keep me from doing the things that are really important. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I actually, I do fall into this way of thinking at times. You know, it's sadly not uncommon at work first thing in the morning for me to walk up to someone and be like, hey, did you finish detailing that? By the way, good morning. I really need it right now. And you know, what it is, is just really in that moment, I'm actually not seeing the person. I'm seeing the things that I want to get done. And that person is kind of just a hurdle. It's kind of, you know, the niceties of the day can be a little bit of an inconvenience to me getting to the things that I want to get done. Well, that might have been the same for these men. Maybe they were just daydreaming. You know, they were off in their own head, off in their own world. Um, and when they saw the man, he just wasn't important enough at that moment to get their intention, you know, to register on the rare. His problem was outside of them. His problem was really just not their problem. And so it was just not something that they really had the mental capacity at that moment to take care of. I don't know. Have you guys ever gotten lost in your own thoughts? Anyone? Anyone? Is that just me? Yeah, there's a few of you. Okay. Um, you know, I, I definitely can get lost in my thoughts where what's going on here is much more important than what's going on with you guys. Totally. I actually had the conversation a few weeks ago with Alex Barrett, and we were sitting there talking with each other, or Alex, our campus pastor. We were sitting there talking with each other, and, and he threw out an idea of how some, we could achieve something. And my brain just took that and ran with that. And I, I, lost, I lost sight of Alex. He was still talking. I had no idea what he was saying. And he must have seen it because he just started laughing. And I, I don't know if my eyes glowed over. If I, but... What was going on in here was just so much more important than what was going on in the world around me. I just lost sight. So maybe that's where these guys were at. Maybe they just lost sight of all the things that were going on around them. Uh, and they were only concerned with this, their own thoughts. And, you know, we could go on and on. There's so many different things that they might have seen. Maybe they saw uncertainties. Maybe they saw an annoyance, something that they would have to deal with that they really didn't want to have to deal with. You know, maybe they were just simply callous. Well, let's shift and now look at the other side of things. So that's what they might have seen. Let's look at what the Samaritan did see. If we look at verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And then if we jump down to verse 36 and 37, Jesus is talking to the lawyer. He says, Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. We don't have compassion and mercy on distractions. We don't have compassion and mercy on inconveniences, on uncertainties, on annoyances. We have compassion for people. 
and we give mercy to people. What the Samaritan saw was a person in need of help. He saw a person lying there who was very hurt. So part of the way that we neighbor well is to see the people around us. And scripture actually kind of fills this out um, and gives this kind of an important framework of how it is that we should go ahead and see the people around us. The first thing that we need to realize is that people are created in the image of God. If we look at Genesis 126, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then down in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God, which also means everyone else around you is made in the image of God. And because of that, we actually carry inherent dignity. And that's a dignity that deserves respect. So when, we're, when we go about cursing other people, even if it's the wicked, what we're doing is we're actually cursing someone made in the image of God. You know, people who have worth, and we don't do right by doing that. So in seeing the people around us, we first of all need to see that they're made in the image of God. The second thing is we need to see that people are loved by God and are important to Him. There's so many verses throughout the Scriptures that just show us how much God cares about him, us. Romans 5.8 is an example, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, Ezekiel 33.11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God cares deeply for us as people. We are very important to him. Um, so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. Jesus died for the people around you. And that's why we really need to see people. We need to see that they're created in the image of God and that they are important to God. If we examine the New Testament, we actually see a lot of examples of Jesus really living this out. In fact, um, if we look just a little bit later in the book of Luke, in chapter 18, 35 to 43, we see this time when, Jer- when Jesus himself is on the road to Jericho, very similar to what the story of the Good Samaritan takes place. And he's on this road with a big crowd of followers, and there's a blind man sitting on the side of the road begging. And that blind man, he hears this crowd, and he starts asking, what's going on? And the people say, oh, Jesus is passing by. And he starts yelling, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, what does the crowd do? The crowd actually takes a very similar approach to the Levite and the priest. They rebuke the man and tell him to be silent. So what they were seeing at that moment is they were seeing someone who wasn't of, of a lot of worth. They were seeing someone who was poor, who was blind, who was begging, someone who they considered Jesus' time was not worth it like it was worth them being with Jesus, if that made sense. They were more important to Jesus than this blind man was in their eyes. Jesus, on the other hand, he actually took the view of the Samaritan. He saw a man who God had brought in front of his path, someone for him to help and heal. And so he called the blind man to him and he helped him. You know, I I do kind of wonder whether anyone who was in that crowd put that together like, hey, that story that Jesus told us about a little while ago, we basically just saw the same thing take place. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus looked to the people around him, no matter what position they're in, whether they were religious authorities or whether they're the lowest people on the totem pole. He really cared about people. A good neighbor sees and acts with the heart of Jesus 
towards those around him. So the first aspect is seeing people. The second aspect that we need to do in order to, to enact being a good neighbor deals with how we act towards others. So if we look at the priest and the Levite and what were their actions in this setting, they actually both took the exact same actions. They avoided him and they ignored him. They quite literally moved to the other side of the road so they didn't have to pass right by him. And, you know, it's really easy to take this approach of avoidance and annoyance or avoidance and ignoring when we see people as annoyances, when we see people as distractions, um, when we see people as inconveniences. And I don't know about you, um, but I certainly can do this. You know, there's that person at work who is not my favorite person in the world. You know, they tend to bother me a little bit more and they go to the break room. And so I just decide not to go to the break room at this time. Or, you know, I, I, so here's when it gets real right here is probably the hardest time to treat people well is driving home from work. You're out in traffic. It's been a long day. You're tired. You're in that lane where, you know, you've been waiting in line. And then there's that other lane where that guy's trying to cut in at the very last minute. And, you know, what do you do? Or what do I do sometimes? I don't see you. I don't see your blinker. Nope, nope, no room for you here. Um, what am I doing? I'm avoiding. I'm ignoring. Um, I'm really not loving him as myself. Um, so it's just, it's really an easy approach to see. But, or to take. But as we saw in verse 27 of the parable, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's now look at how did the Samaritan exemplify it? We saw what the priest and the Levite did, but what did the Samaritan do? If we look at verse 34 and 35, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. What the Samaritan did is he worked for the good, the interests of the hurt man, the Israelite, to the point that he was sacrificing. So he loved him by sacrificing for him. And what did he sacrifice? Well, first of all, he sacrificed time. You know, the the Samaritan, in all honesty, might just have been just as busy as the Levite and the priest. He might have had just as much going on. But what did he do? He stopped. He took time then and there to bind up the man's wounds to take care of him. Then he got off his donkey, which was going to make this trek even longer because now he's walking, and he put the hurt man on the donkey. Um, He took him to an inn, took care of him there. And then after all of that, he actually came back to check on this man again later. He sacrificed a lot of time. The other thing that he sacrificed was money. The, the parable tells us that he gave two denarii plus to the innkeeper to take care of this hurt stranger. And what money is embodied time. We give up our lives in order to earn it. And what a denarii was, was a day's wage at this point in history. And also at this point in history, people actually worked longer hours than we do today. So you can imagine this was potentially 24 hours of earned wages, embodied time that he gave to a complete stranger. So he sacrificed time. He sacrificed money. He also sacrificed energy. I know for me, one of the hardest times to help people is when I'm really tired. That's when I, you know, it just does not sound something that I really want to do at all. And yet, 
The journey between Jerusalem and Jericho, from what I've read, is actually a hard journey. It has a huge elevation change between them. It was not an easy thing. Here was a guy who had a donkey. You know, he had an opportunity to make this journey a little bit easier. But what did he do? He actually got off and walked. So he expended a lot of energy to help this guy. And likely, since this guy is half dead, he's not just sitting on joyfully riding the donkey. You know, he may be falling off. The Samaritan was probably helping him along the way. Again, just using so much of his energy in order to help a stranger or a neighbor. And finally, he sacrificed his pride. The Samaritans and the Israelites were two peoples who didn't really get along super well. They had a lot of historical enmity between the two groups. Um, it went back far in history. And so there's, lo- there's likely that that Samaritan had really negative experience experiences with Israelites, you know, that he had prejudices against the people because of how the people viewed each other. And yet here we see this Samaritan man putting that all aside in order to help another person, to help another man. So the picture of how the Samaritan man saw and sacrificed for the good of another, that's actually exactly what Jesus does for us. If we look in a Philippians 2, 3 through 8, we can actually see the ultimate picture of Jesus living out what it means to be a good neighbor. So we look, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, was, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with, the, with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to. So basically what we see so far is that we need to put aside pride. We need to choose humility and really put the interest of others above our own. For Jesus um, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sacrificed himself for our interests. He lived out the picture of what a good neighbor is. Not only did he sacrifice time by coming to earth, he sacrificed his glory, he sacrificed his energy, he sacrificed his own life in order to be a good neighbor to us. You know, he could have easily left us to die as unworthy, um, as small, unimportant things, as his creation which had spit in his face through sin. But instead, he sacrificed himself for our good. So if, if you're ever thinking, you know, this idea of being a neighbor, it sounds great and all, you know, seeing people, helping people. Well, what about me, though? If I'm spending all my time really worrying about others, what's going to happen to me? The joy of what we can see here is that we don't have to worry about us because Christ, our God, is worrying about us. Our God is taking care of us, allowing us to turn around and be outward focused and look to others. A good neighbor sees and acts with the heart of Jesus towards those around them. So to act as a good neighbor, you know, God calls us to see people rightly. We need to see that people are made in the image of God. We need to see that people are loved and important to God. And then we need to act towards them as Jesus did, sacrificing for them. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, there was actually two things that Jesus showed in this parable. He showed how it is that we are to act as neighbors, but then he also showed who it is we are to act as neighbors towards. 
So we're going to shift gears for a minute, and we're going to go ahead and take a look at that lawyer's follow-up question to Jesus. Who, it is, who is it that's my neighbor? Who is it that I need to love as myself? Well, this year in our C group, um, we actually had a week where we looked at this parable. And Cliff Martin, who's a member of our church here and who's a lawyer, um, he, he gave me a funny insight into this. He said, you know, I always really laugh when I look at this because that is such a lawyer question to ask. Who is my neighbor? You know, got to define the terms before you can expect me to be held to it. Well, today, our colloquial sort of English definition of what a neighbor is, um, is kind of based on a relative proximity to where we live. You know, if you're out in the boondocks, your neighbors may be, you know, 50 mile radius. If you're here in LA, it may only be two houses. That her third house, I don't really count them as neighbors. You know, it's sort of this hazy, fuzzy thing. Well, From what I can gather, that was sort of similar to what the lawyer was thinking as well. That's kind of what he was expecting. Um, You know, who knows? Maybe he owned a big plot of land and he thought, you know, no one is close enough near me. Maybe I don't have to love anyone as myself because I have no neighbors. But this isn't the picture that Jesus showed in the end. This isn't how Jesus responded to him. So first, let's look at what does not determine who we are to treat as neighbors based on this parable. Again, it's what does not determine. Well, what we can see, it's not based on living proximity. The Samaritans lived in Samaria, whereas the Israelites lived in Israel. They were in different villages. They weren't together. You know, so so for this Samaritan, this wasn't Bob who lived next door. This wasn't someone that he knew. This was a stranger, someone he had not met before. And yet he was a neighbor to the man. We can also see that it doesn't have anything to do or it's not based at all on our religious position that we may have. Now, that may seem like, well, that's really obvious. Of course, it doesn't have anything to do with or based on our religious position. But I have a question for you. Have you ever found yourself thinking, well, of course, Jesus acted that way. He was Jesus. You expect me to act the same way? I know for myself, um, and maybe maybe I'm the only person in this room. It's totally possible. Wouldn't be the first time. Maybe I'm the only person that, you know, I get into modes where, you know, there's people around I don't know. You know, we're having an event, and I, I run right between introvert and extrovert, so it can be hard, a little hard for me to go and meet new people. We're having an event, and there's new people, and I think, ah, you know, someone should really be talking to those people, getting to know them, really just loving on them. Well, it's a good thing we have Alex and Neil because that's their job. (laughs) That's not my job. And I I don't know about you, but I can definitely get into that mode of thinking at times. But that's not what we see in the case of the Samaritan. The Samaritan had no religious position. In fact, he would not have been allowed to have a religious position. But yet, he went out and acted as a neighbor. On the other hand, the other two travelers, the priest and Levite, both had religious positions and yet... That is not, they did not act as a neighbor. And the third thing is that it is not based on our preferences. As we looked at earlier, Samaritan and Israelites were not homeboys. You know, they were not big fans of each other. Um, They were not buddies. But, But the Samaritan put that aside in order to help another. And this not only goes to who it is, But it also went to when it was. It's not our preference of when this occurs. So, again, he's on this long trek, a very tiring trek, the Samaritan. And despite that, he chose to be a neighbor. So it's not based on our preferences of who or when. 
So what does determine who we are to treat as a neighbor, who we are to love as ourselves? What we can find from this parable is that it's actually based on opportunity. It's opportunity that determines who we are to treat as a neighbor. The people that we need to act with neighbor with are the people that God brings into our lives, into our circles. The Samaritans, the Samaritan man and the Israelite man had no previous connection. They didn't have some previous friendship, but God brought them together in a moment in an opportunity and the Samaritan acted as a neighbor. And there's, you know, this is actually, it's kind of a different way of looking at what it means to neighbor than what we're used to. Um, you know, it's basically saying even that Starbucks barista that you ordered coffee from this morning, you should have been a neighbor to them. And hopefully you were, but that, that person is a neighbor to you. Um, it's someone that we need to love. It's not just the people who live one and two doors down. And if we, there's two scriptures that can actually help us flush out this idea a little bit more. The first one is in Acts 17, 26, and it says he made them from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God has determined exactly when and where he wants you to live. So if you've ever wondered, you know, why didn't I live in the 1700s so I could have fought in the Revolutionary War? It's because God wanted you to live in L.A. right now. That's why. Well, because God wanted you to live now here in L.A., he wants you to interact with the people that he also brought here to live now in L.A., including that Starbucks barista. The second part we find, the second um, scripture that we help can flesh out this idea is actually in the book of Esther. And to give you a little bit of idea of what was going on, um, in this book, the Bible actually recounts a time when Israel was in exile in Persia. So they had been taken out of their homeland because of disobedience to God. And while they were in exile, a woman named Esther actually was chosen by the king of Persia to become his queen. And while she was his queen, one of his highest court officials started coming up with this scheme in which he was planning on genociding, on killing out the entire Jewish race. So Esther's uh, adopted father, her uncle, find out about this scheme. And he goes to Esther and says, Esther, you know, you need to go to the king and you need to plead our cause before him. You need to help save us. Now, Esther, her response to him, Mordecai is his name. Her response to Mordecai was, you know, I, I don't know if I can do that. The rule is that if anyone goes before the king and he didn't tell them to come, if they go in and he does not hand out his scepter to them, they're put to death. And he actually hasn't called me for 30 days. So who knows? Maybe this guy's forgotten about me. I am his queen, but maybe he's forgotten about me. Maybe he doesn't care about me. But if I show up and he doesn't hold out his scepter, I'm going to be put to death. Well, what Mordecai does is he responds to her in Esther 4, 13 through 14. And this is what he says. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all uh, the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. God may have put you exactly where you are, exactly around certain people, because he wants you to do something. 
He wants you to act a certain way. He wants you to be a neighbor, to love others as yourself. God can orchestrate all of history. And so our coworkers, our community members, you know, the guy we meet at the gas station when we're driving through Kentucky, all those people are people that God is asking us to be a neighbor to because he has brought about that opportunity for us to be together. Well, I actually want to try to illustrate this a little bit with my own life. Um, just to give an idea of, you know, what, what it can look like. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you two stories. One is about how someone actually was a neighbor to me. And the other was about how I got to be a neighbor to someone else. So the first one had to do with my sister-in-law's family member. And what it was is there was a period in high school where I met her family. And this woman saw me and, and saw that I was actually kind of going through this rough time. And so what she decided to do is that she decided that she was going to start praying for me on a regular basis. Now, I'll be honest, I don't remember this woman at all. You know, I met her that one time, and yet she prayed for me for over years. And during that time, God really changed my life. He took my life around, took it in a different direction. I started really following him seriously. And my life has been blessed because of all that's happened. Now, if we look back to some of those things that we learned about a neighbor, you know, I didn't know this woman You know, I met her at one time. You know, we do not live in proximity together. But what she did is she sacrificed a lot of time and a lot of energy to praying for me on a regular basis. She really acted as a neighbor to me and really showed me a great deal of love, which I am forever indebted to her. And actually, I really look forward to going to heaven and getting to meet this woman who was a part of my life being changed so much. Well, the, the second story was a time when I actually had an opportunity to be a neighbor. Um, Back in May, my wife Jen, our son Joshua, and myself got to go to Hawaii with Jen's family. And one day at the hotel, they were having this little craft fair. And so I went out and I was kind of looking at everything. I actually really like to make stuff, so I tend to go to craft fairs and just admire people's craftsmanship. I ended up talking with this woman who was selling jewelry that she had made. And over time, found out that she was actually a believer. And, you know, that's, that's kind of cool. Like, you're 3,000 miles away and meet a believer kind of randomly. So I, I was excited about that. And I actually kind of sensed God telling me, hey, I want to do something right now. And so I thought, you know what it is? I'm supposed to encourage her. Like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to encourage her. Well, I don't know if you've ever had one of these conversations where you don't really get to talk because the other person kind of just keeps talking on top of you, over you. Well, that was my experience. So after a few minutes of of trying to encourage this woman, I suddenly realized maybe I'm just supposed to listen because I'm not getting a word in. So I was out there for about 45 minutes. You know, I went in back to my wife. She's like, you're out there for a while. And I was like, yeah, I was talking to a single person. Um, You know, that's not too common for me. Um, I actually encouraged Jen to go meet her the next day. This woman was going to be at the next hotel over selling her jewelry again. So Jen went over and met her. And Jen came back and said, oh, she wants to talk to you again. (laughs) Okay. So I go back. I start talking to her again. It's very much the same experience. And she actually started sharing with me some spiritual warfare that she had been experiencing lately. And even an instance just that day, something that happened to her. And she asked, you know, can you, I think she actually said, can you pray for me? Which sort of makes me think I'm going to pray. Um, but so I started praying real quick and I just beat her to the punch because she started praying too. But 
as I was praying, one of the things I shared in my prayer was Colossians 2.15. And in that, the verse says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. And what it's about is just about how Jesus has conquered all of the, uh, all of the demons, our, our enemy, um, or God has conquered our enemy through the life of Jesus. And after I finished praying, the woman actually said, Wow, what, what was that verse again? She kind of asked me that a couple times. And, you know, as I kind of started to, you know, sneak away a little bit, she actually stopped me. I'd gotten probably about 15 feet away. She actually stopped me and said, I think God might have orchestrated the entire thing of us meeting so that you could share that verse with me. And, you know, that, that was kind of cool. Like, ooh, God did something through me. That's, that's, that's fun. Um, you know, that was an opportunity that I had to be a neighbor. Again, proximity-wise, you know, I don't live in Hawaii. Um, so it's not like we're, you know, near each other. Um, you know, I, it, it, I, not to make a big deal, it was a little bit of a sacrifice on my part because I'm not much one of a small talker, even when I don't have to do any of the talking, but God just really used that opportunity to allow me to be a neighbor to someone else. A good neighbor sees and acts with the heart of Jesus towards others. And that's really what we can find in this parable of the Good Samaritan. So I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping up, invite the band back up. Something that we do every week is we have next steps. And really our, our hope is that there was something that was helpful and there was something that you can find to begin to apply to your own life that is really going to help you take the next steps in following Jesus. Uh, in the case of today of becoming a good neighbor to those around you. So I have a couple of suggestions. You might have something that you think is better for yourself. The first one is two times this week, look at the people around you and seek to see them as Jesus did or as Jesus does. One of the things, again, that we talked about is the need to really see people, um, not to see just distractions, not to see inconveniences, but to see the people around us. So I encourage you to just stop and really look and see people the way God does. Another thing you can do is you can look for two opportunities this week to practically serve someone around you, to really love them as yourself, to sacrifice time, energy, money, to sacrifice yourself for their good. And the final thing you could do is, you know, this this may be hard for you, and understandably so. You can pray three times this week that God would give you a heart for those around you. That's a prayer that God would be more than happy to answer. So as we pray, bless you, as we pray that God give us that heart, he will. I'm going to go ahead and pray as we continue worshiping this morning. God, we just thank you that you are the ultimate neighbor for us, that you gave yourself, you sacrificed your life that we could have a good life. I pray that you would just help us to see others as you do, see their worth, and that we would be willing to sacrifice our time for their good, knowing that you will always be looking out for us. Pray that you would just change our hearts and help us to be a light of who you are to those around us. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.